0: Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This discussion is going to be on the Book of Enos, the entire Book of Enos. We're going to read it in one sitting. Okay, there's only one chapter. All right, just a brief background of this one. Uh, One of the comments that was made by uh, Victor Ludlow said, if all the thousand-year history of Lehi's posterity were written so succinctly as these one-chapter books, the Book of Mormon would be a 20-page pamphlet instead of a 531-page book. Most amusing, isn't it? All right. The posterity of Jacob maintained the records for over four centuries from about 544 B.C. to almost 130 B.C. when they were turned over to King Benjamin. So the small plates, it seems like, were kept by the prophets and the large plates, it appears to be kept by the kings until you get to King Benjamin when he obtains the small plates. All right. Chapter one, verse one. Behold, it came to pass that I, Enos, the name Enos is a poetic Hebrew word meaning man. It first appears in the Bible as the name of Seth's son. As a grandson of Adam, through Seth, Enos was privileged to be part of the ancient patriarchal line of the the priesthood. That Jacob named his son Enos should not be surprising because the Nephites often gave their children names from the scriptures. Knowing my father that he was a just man, this is the equivalent of saying my father was faithful in keeping the law of the gospel. It is common for us to think of a just man as one who is impartial and fair. As used in the scriptures, it has a far deeper meaning. A just man is one that has kept his covenants with exactness and honor. Just is a legal term derived from the Latin juice meaning right or law. An action that is justified in the eyes of the law is one which upon examination can be found to be right and lawful. Thus we read that Joseph, the husband of Mary, was a just man, that Simeon, who blessed the Christ child in the temple, was just and devout, and that the angels appeared to just and holy men. The doctrine of justification embraces the idea that one who has been obedient to the laws and ordinances of the gospel has the rightful expectation of obtaining an exaltation. That was from uh, Millett McConkie. For he taught me in his language. Enos was taught well enough to be able to write in the reformed Egyptian so he could write on the plates and also in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And blessed be the name of my God for it. And I will tell you of the wrestle. And now this wrestle, this word wrestle here. Jacob is trying to shake off the worldliness to approach God. Hugh Nibley, uh, I like the way he says it here. Enos was a very thoughtful young man and he really had a conscience. The usefulness or the uselessness of his life was worrying him sick. When you wrestle before God, that means you try to. What does a wrestler do when he starts to compete? He tries to strike position. They have to take up a position or a stance. You decide your approach, etc. Suppose you have been living in the world of daily life and been completely preoccupied with trivial things. For to be carnally minded is death comes strongly to me all the time. Carnally minded is concerned with anything related to the world. If you think about that and then you are going to approach God and you can't do it just cold like that you can't just say hey God listen to me I have something to say you are facing the most high here and you can't put anything over on him he can see right through you so you had better be careful what you say it is going to be your great advantage to see through yourself and everything else because he is going to see through you so you wrestle with it you have a struggle to tear yourself loose from your preoccupations and thoughts and your petty ideas and to keep concentrated during prayer takes some effort. With Enos, it's a wrestle. So that's our challenge in prayer is to as we wrestle with God, we're actually wrestling with ourselves, Uh, which I had before God, everyone must gain their own testimony. Even the prophet's son is not exempt from gaining his own testimony. Brigham Young said, we must all have this wrestle to gain our personal salvation. Before I received a remission of my sins, behold, I went to hunt beasts in the forests. And words which I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart. Sounds like he's off hunting by himself, which is really not, you're not supposed to do that, are you? Just kidding. Elder Packer said, We emphasize that the greatest work you will do will be within the walls of your home. It is not uncommon for responsible parents to lose one of their children for a time to influences over which they have no control. They agonize over rebellious sons or daughters. They are puzzled over why they are so helpless when they have tried so hard to do what they should. It is my conviction that those wicked influences one day will be overruled. The prophet Joseph declared, and he never taught a more comforting doctrine, that the eternal sealings of faithful parents and the divine promises made to them for valiant service in the cause of truth would save not only themselves, but likewise their posterity. Though some of the sheep may wander, the eye of the shepherd is upon them, and sooner or later they will feel the tentacles of divine providence reaching out after them and drawing them back to the fold. Either in this life or the life to come, they will return. They will have to pay their debt to justice. They will suffer for their sins and may tread a thorny path, but if it leads them at last, Like the penitent prodigal to a loving and forgiving father father's heart and home the pain the painful experience will not have been in vain pray for your careless and disobedient children hold on to them with your faith hope on trust on till you see the salvation of god and that was elder packer quoting orson f whitney this doctrine is true but consider the following quotation from joseph filling smith the idea that the faithfulness of the parents will save their children it's comforting, but it is, after all, intention with principles of agency and individual responsibility. We are taught that we will not be punished for our parents' sins, nor will we be saved by our parents' righteousness. After the after the or Alma the elders' prayers brought an angel to, of comfort to it to his son, but it was still for young Alma to change his life. And so, um, just because parents are praying and are worthy, doesn't always mean that the children are going to follow them because they still have their agency too. Verse 4, And my soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my Maker, and I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication for mine own soul. This is like Joseph Smith when he went into the grove. One of his first questions was, uh, or one of his first concerns is his status with God. And So he's doing kind of like Enos does here. And all the day long did I cry unto him, and when the night came, I did still raise my voice high that it reached the heavens. Uh, This is describing the wrestle here. It's taken him all day to pray. Uh, He's getting in the right position here to get an answer to his prayers. It is doubtful that this and like texts are intended to convey the idea that such persons involve themselves in formal and uninterrupted prayer for such extended times. Paul wrote that we ought to pray without ceasing. In so writing, he did not intend that we never get off our knees, but rather that we retain the spirit of prayer at all times, that we have, as it were, a prayer in our hearts. Enos would have spent his day in interspersing formal prayer with soul-searching, lamenting, imploring God for forgiveness and pondering the promises of the scriptures. To everything there is a season and a time, every purpose under heaven. There is a time to pray, a time to cease from prayer. There is a time to walk alone, a time to walk together. For Enos was... For Enos, this was a time for perseverance and prayer, a time to wrestle with the spirit until an answer came. It would be unfortunate if one were to suppose that the experience recorded herein as to both the the tenacity of his spiritual quest and the response of heaven is common to or typical of daily prayer. Never at at any time have our our prophets and apostles taught or endorsed the inordinate and intemperate zeal that encourages endless, sometimes day-long prayers. That was Elder McConkie. So even though this is a remarkable experience that happened, uh, we're not encouraged to necessarily spend that much time in prayer and fasting. Verse five, and there came a voice, uh, this was not an audible voice, but rather the whispering of the Lord to the heart and soul of Venus, because verse 10 tells us that it came into his mind again. Uh, But unto me, Elder Packer says, we do not have the words, even the scriptures do not have words which perfectly describe the Spirit. The scriptures usually use the word voice which does not exactly fit. These delicate refined spiritual communications are not seen with our eyes nor heard with our ears. It is a voice that that one feels more than one hears. I have come to know that the inspiration comes more as a feeling than as a sound ponder and pray quietly and persistently. This may this answer or the answer may come not as a lightning bolt. It may come as a little inspiration here and a little there, line upon line, precept upon precept. Some answers will come from reading the scriptures, some from hearing speakers, and occasionally when it is important. Some will come by very direct and powerful inspiration. The promptings will be clear and unmistakable. Uh, came unto me saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be be blessed. This was the first words that were spoken to Joseph Smith, that his sins had been forgiven him. And peace comes after the wrestle. I, Enos, knew that God could not lie, wherefore my guilt was swept away. And I said, Lord, how is it done? Enos didn't doubt that he had received a forgiveness of his sins, but he wanted to know how it was done. And he said unto me, Because of thy faith in Christ, whom thou hast never before heard nor seen. And many years pass away before he shall manifest himself in the flesh. Wherefore, go to, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now it came to pass that when I had heard these words, I began to feel a desire for the welfare of my brethren, the Nephites. Wherefore, I did pour out my whole soul unto God for them. Once Enos receives that anchor that comes from forgiveness, he then seeks the welfare of his family, then his enemies. And while I was thus struggling in the spirit, behold, the voice of the Lord came into my mind again, Describing a way in which revelation comes, the Lord told Joseph, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. That's what Enos is trying to explain to us here. That It's coming into his mind here, saying, I will visit thy brethren according to their diligence in keeping my commandments. I have given unto them this land, and it is a holy land. The prophets of the Book of Mormon frequently referred to the Americas as a promised land. Enos's record now gives it a higher designation, a holy land. A land which is holy is a land consecrated, dedicated, and set apart. A land blessed by the hand of the Lord for his service and his purposes. This land is the, land of, is the place of Eden, the place of Adam on Diomone, the place of the New Jerusalem, the birthplace of the Book of Mormon and the Restoration. It has been designated by God as a sanctuary for truth and righteousness. It is from the American continent that in this dispensation the seeds of salvation have been and will be carried to all the other lands. Continuing verse 10, and I curse it not, save it be for the cause of iniquity. Wherefore, I will visit thy brethren according as I have said, and their transgressions will I bring down with sorrow upon their own heads. And after I, Enos, had heard these words, my faith began to be unshaken in the Lord, and I prayed unto him with many long strugglings for my brethren, the Lamanites. And it came to pass that after I had prayed and labored with all diligence, the Lord said unto me, I will grant unto thee according to thy desires because of thy faith. And now behold, this was the desire which I desired of him, that if it should be that my people... The Nephites should fall into transgression and by any means be destroyed. Enos had read the scriptures and knew that this prophecy would be fulfilled. And the Lamanites should not be destroyed that the Lord God would preserve a record of my people, the Nephites, even if it so be by the power of his holy arm that it might be brought forth at some future day unto the the Lamanites, that perhaps they might be brought into salvation. This would happen in the final dispensation. Verse 14, For at at the present our strugglings were vain in restoring them to the true faith, and they swore in their wrath that if that were possible, they would destroy our records and us, and also all the traditions of our fathers. Wherefore, I knowing that the Lord God was able to preserve our records, I cried unto him continually, for he had said unto me, Whatsoever thing ye shall ask in faith, believing that ye shall receive in the name of Christ, ye shall receive it. And I had faith, and I did cry unto God, that he would preserve the records, and he covenanted with me, that he would bring them forth unto the Lamanites in his own due time. And I, Enos, knew it would be according to the covenant which he had made, wherefore my soul did rest. And the Lord said unto me, Thy fathers have also required of me this thing, and it shall be done unto them according to their faith, for their faith was like unto thine. And now it came to pass that I, Enos, went about among the people of Nephi, prophesying of things to come, and testifying of the things which I had heard and seen. And I bear record that the people of Nephi did seek diligently to restore the Lamanites unto the true faith in God. But our labors were vain, their hatred was fixed, and they they were led by their evil nature. That they became wild and ferocious and a bloodthirsty people, full of idolatry and filthiness, feeding upon beasts of prey, dwelling in tents and wandering about in the wilderness with a short skin girdle about their loins, and their heads shaven, and their skill was in the bow and in the scimitar and in the axe. And many of them did eat nothing save it were, was raw meat, and they were continually seeking to destroy us. In our day, there are still people that uh, are, in the, there are groups of people that are still bent on destroying those that don't believe like them. 21, And it came to pass that the people of Nephi did till the land and raise all manner of grain and of fruit and flocks of herds and flocks of all manner of cattle of every kind and goats and wild goats and also many horses. Again, having having mentioned horses here, that kind of flew in the face of traditional belief at the time of Joseph Smith, that there were horses upon the continent before the Europeans came. But uh, proof uh, lately has shown that there, are, there, there had been horses on here before that. Verse 22, and there were exceedingly many prophets among us, and the people were a stiff-necked people, hard to understand, and there was nothing save it was exceeding harshness, preaching and prophesying of wars and contentions and destructions, and continually reminding them of death and the duration of eternity and the judgments and the power of God, and all these things, stirring them up continually to keep them in the fear of the Lord. Sounds like a regular Israelite. I say there was nothing short of these things, and exceedingly great plainness of speech would keep them from going down speedily to to destruction. And after this manner do I write concerning them, and I saw wars between the Nephites and Lamanites in the course of my days. And it came to pass that I began to be old, and an hundred and seventy and nine years had passed away from the time that our father Lehi left Jerusalem. And I saw that I must soon go down to my grave, having been wrought upon by the power of God, that I must preach and prophesy unto this people, and declare the word according to the truth which is in Christ. And I have declared it in all my days, and have rejoiced in it above that of the world. And, And I soon go to the place of my rest, which is with my Redeemer. For I know that in him I shall rest, and I rejoice in the day when my mortal shall put on immortality, and shall stand before him. Then shall I see his face with pleasure. And he will say unto me, come unto me, ye blessed, there is a place prepared for you in the mansions of my father. Here it sounds like uh, Enos has received his calling, Alexa made sure. And then he ends with Amen. So this is the book of Enos, uh, the grandson of Nephi. No, the nephew of Nephi He's Jacob's son, uh, Nephi's nephew. I bear testimony of the truth of the gospel and... uh, And if we keep the commandments, then uh, we should do it because we want to and not out of fear. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.